0: Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Ordinary people, extraordinary creativity. Here's how to get unstuck. I'm your host, creativity coach, Nancy Norbeck. Let's go. Mark Kay calls himself a restless creative, a musician, writer, and comedian who loves to tell stories and make people laugh. He also, through his company, Vital Connects, uses those skills to help develop the vital connections needed for focused, united teams and creative problem solving. Mark tells me how and why he took the leap into stand-up, how his comedy and his writing skills have influenced each other, and how he takes both of those and his business partner's therapy background and creates programs to help teams create a sense of psychological safety that lets them do difficult work from a place of greater unity. Here's my conversation with Mark Kay. Mark, welcome to follow your curiosity. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So I start everybody off with the same question, which is: Were you a creative kid, or did you discover your creative side later on?
1: I actually prepared for this because I do listen to your podcast, and <laughs> uh, I would say I, I would say, in looking back, I definitely was a creative creative kid for sure.
0: How did that manifest itself?
1: Well, I mean, I I think. So, I mean, it seems to me, you know, having had kids of my own and being around other kids, kids are very creative generally. Um, But I think that I just, I always felt like I took it to a different level. Um, You know, I was kind of the weirdo or um, I might say, you know, had a good active imagination. But even when I think back to a lot of the games or things that I did with my sister and my neighbor, they were all created uh we used to play in the sandbox and we we had this whole story about f- a farmer makes us do everything we were like being held captive or we had played around the tree playing witches brew or we'd have talent shows and i was always into writing and music and i don't know if it's true or not but i um i do think that there's parts of you that are the same now as they were the day you were born probably and there's just always that kind of common thread to want to create something. And you know, I, I never was interested in in um watching concerts or games on television. I always wanted to like be part of it. And I think there's something creative in, in that as well.
0: That's so interesting because I think that's true for a lot of us. And we don't think of that as a creative thing.
1: Yeah. But it is, right? It really, it really is. I I think I I think of creativity as 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 um activity as very active, like the verb of it to, to create. And I just, I think that's why a lot of times people who aren't creating art, you know, sometimes are thought of as not being creative, but actually are incredibly creative in the way in which they're thinking about problem solving because it's an active uh, thing, but it's just, you know, we've kind of scoped it in our society to fall into three or four things and that, and that's it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It's like if you're solving a problem, you are creating a new solution to a thing.
1: Yes. But yeah, we don't
0: totally. think about it that way,
1: which is crazy. No. It is crazy and and I think kids naturally do think about things that way. I mean, that's why kids ask so many questions because they are using creativity to ask, "Well, why is that the situation?" or "Why why is that?" It's very very active, but, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, I think it's it's kind of you know, it's extracted out of us as we get older and and learn uh, a reward system that might not always reward that type of, uh, you know, approach.
0: Yeah. I, I've just started reading a book called The Extended Mind by Annie Murphy Paul. I don't know if you've heard of it, but she okay. she talks a lot at the beginning about how we're taught that our brain and our whole thinking system is only between our ears and yes. it's not true you know there's all of these other ways that we think and and experience the world and interpret information and i'm literally like i'm in chapter i might be at the beginning of chapter two i'm not deep into this book yet but it's still like just that makes you really think about how how we are taught to function in the world is so limited you know because it's it's like Just think really hard and that will solve the problem when a lot of the time that is not what will solve the problem.
1: No, no, not not at all. And I, I see that, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into a whole generational thing here, but it does seem to me that there, there's something about creativity and resourcefulness. And I find that, that people who can't necessarily, you know, follow a recipe or find it in a book don't understand how to be resourceful and creativity to me is an, you know, an immediate channel to being resourceful. And I just think it's so critically important in in everything, but I'm, I'm also incredibly biased, you know, so I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're not going to have an unbiased conversation about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's, There's
0: no chance. There's no chance. So where did your creative side take you as you started getting older?
1: Well, I, I took a huge hiatus, I would say. I mean, I think I was, um, I w- I've i been playing piano since I was seven. Um, and then I was always kind of writing, you know, I was writing since I was a kid and in high school, and I wanted to go into journalism. And then for a lot of the reasons we kind of just, I think, touched on, you know, ended up studying uh, science, uh, biology and psychology, because, you know, just Every message I was getting, quite frankly, was uh, you know that was how you were going to get a job. Um, even though I really wanted to go into journalism and writing, where it ultimately took me was um, to, to nowhere land. Because you know I graduated college and then I ended up just uh, you know working for the state and then uh, and going into marketing and you know having kids and kind of those things fall by the wayside, unfortunately, if you don't keep up with them. And then. Uh, when my kids got older, uh, I decided to try stand-up comedy, and I was always writing throughout the whole time. Um, and the reason I tried to do stand-up comedy was because I wanted to meet other writers. It wasn't to do stand-up comedy, but I was not anywhere in that circle, as you can imagine. And that's taken me in quite a quite a, uh, a lot of places in the past ten or twelve years, including um, kind of re you know um, reengaging my musical side as well and recording music.
0: It's so interesting that that you got to comedy through wanting to meet other writers. That's not where most people would go. How is it that that's the venue that presented itself to you?
1: Um, it's, it's it's very simple. I was researching on how do you write for the Daily Show, oh, <laughs> um, and and I was like, where do these people, you know, meet? And the reality was at that time. I was well aged out of um, the typical intern or people that would start there. Um, and it was saying that a lot of people meet each other doing stand-up comedy, albeit in New York City. Um, but, you know, I thought, okay, at least that'll get me closer to people, like-minded people who might be writing comedy, which it did in some capacity. And that was it. And, um, and that and also Last Comic Standing, I, I wrote to Gary Gulman. I don't know if you are the listeners remember, but he was one of the initial contestants on Last Comic Standing. And he literally looks like me, except he's like 6'6". And he was doing these jokes and I, and I just thought he was amazing. And I wrote an email to him and he answered me. And he just said, just do it. Just get up there and try it. And I had made a, um, like a pact with myself that I would try by the time I turned 40 uh, and I was about to turn 41. And there was a I was taking my kids roller skating. There was a sign outside saying open mic night at the, at the motel. And, uh, I did it and I've been regretting it ever since. No, but, uh, <laughs> but that's kind of how it happened. Yeah.
0: Wow. That, that takes some serious courage to just walk into a, a comedy open night and
1: just do it. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I mean, I was, I was definitely afraid, um, Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't know if you have this experience, like when you've decided to do something, you know, creative or not, but you know, I got to the point where I had been thinking, thinking, thinking about it. And I, it was almost like I had to choose between the depression of never doing something or the anxiety of actually trying it, but like it was going to be one or the other. And so when I realized I was either picking depression or anxiety, I was like, well, I might as well try anxiety because like, I least I would try it. And so that's been a little bit kind of my approach for the past decade or so, you know, not to be afraid of things that really, truly aren't going to kill you, you know, heights. Yes. Snakes. Yes. Doing an open mic. You'll, you'll survive (laughs) kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Wow. So how did it go?
1: Um, I remember it went, I, it went well. Um, I was actually shocked because I was number 16 And I was only in the middle of the open mic. It was on a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. This is and and I remember there was a guy sitting in the front. And I don't know if you ever saw Despicable Me the Mm -hmm. the movie, but um, what's the guy's name that you know with the the the, the back, the big black V neck back? Um, he's the the villain. But (laughs) I I want to say like Vilness or something. Or that's probably where he's from. But there was a guy that looked like him. I mean, his back was like seven miles wide. And I and he was heckling <laughs> people. And I thought, oh my God, like I am totally like, what am I doing? And I I don't know why to this day, but he did not heckle me. And I just thought, okay, uh, I got through it and I was kind of hooked, you know, after that. So wow. went through a, Yeah.
0: And then did you find the community you were looking for?
1: Um e- yes and no. I mean, I, you know. I think it's difficult, uh, like anything, I mean, there's, to me, at least, you know, they say it's more difficult to make friends as you get older, it's more difficult to, you know, and I think that there's something to that, just because you have a lot of conflicting things going on in your life, you know, you're just, you just have a, a much more nuanced life. And I, I found community, um, I found some very good friends uh, there, but I don't think I would say I found community um at least in this area at least the way I, I wish i would have yeah wow it could be because of me as well i'm not trying to say it's like because of the people but it just it, it didn't um you know i i listen to sarah silverman and they all hang out and you know and i i i would love to have that that type of tight knit community um where it's not about the comedy but it's about kind of connecting and i have that with a few people but um but not on a grand scale yeah
0: So you go to an open mic, you get hooked. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: What do you do from there? Do you just keep open micing? Do you take courses? Because I know that there are comedy workshops and things like that. Yeah. What Mm -hmm. what happens? Yeah.
1: Um, Well, I, I, yeah, I got hooked and then, you know, I did it for a few months and then I remember um, I didn't do it for you know, five or six or seven months, um, my kids were probably like 10 and 12 or something. So they were older, but they, you know, they, they were busy and I would only do it, um, sort of when I didn't have any other, any other duties at the time. Um, but I would do open mics and then I became friends with a couple of people who would invite me to their rooms and I would start hosting and, and getting hired to do things like that. And I would do it when I could, um, and, uh, I did take a, I did take a class at the stress factory, uh, in, in New Brunswick, New Jersey, you know, maybe a, a couple years in, but mostly what I was doing was, was writing. And it really wasn't until like my kids were in high school, um, that I started, you know, performing more, more often. Um, that was also the time that I was going through a divorce. So there was a, a big, a big hiatus during that, um, cause it was hard to find the funny in anything, yeah. um, Although there's lots of funny there now, but at the time, and then, you know, I, that obviously, um, when I started up again, again, it revolved around, you know, the kids and and things like that, but, but it was actually kind of a godsend at the, at the time, which was great. Well,
0: that makes sense. So what's it like to take a class on comedy? Because I know a lot of us would think that that would take all of the funny right out of it.
1: Well, I think you would think, I think you're right. I think you would (laughs) i think you would be right um you know it's a really good question because it's a class right and i think it really depends on the instructor right so if you if you have somebody who is able to hone in and say oh this person i always think of it as like a diagnosis right what this person needs is technique or this person needs writing skills or this person needs presence the problem is uh to To be honest, anybody can say they're an instructor and a teacher, right? And so what I would say is, take a class, but watch the person and call the person, talk to them, and make sure that this person is going to provide you you know what you need. Um, I've taught I've taught comedy classes now, and I'm always very super sensitive to make sure that I am providing some sort of value. Because you can easily go down the rabbit hole of you're, you're, you suck and you're, you shouldn't be doing this at all. And actually, when I took a class, it set me a little bit backwards because it, it really made me rethink a lot of what I was doing and how I was doing it. And the thing about any art form is it's very, very subjective. Right. And so I, I think there's something to be said about what it takes to be a good writer or have good presence, or right? There are obviously things that are like that, but there's a lot of art to it as well, not science. And so I think it's hard to take a class if you don't know 100% what it is you're trying to get out of it. Um, And I didn't didn't do that, unfortunately, but it was still a good learning experience.
0: That seems like such good advice for so many different things, like to know what it is you need to get out of for anything in, in any art.
1: Yeah, or anything like you said in life, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cause comedy seems to me like it would be even more subjective than, than a lot of other things. Maybe, maybe that's just my impression. Cause as I'm saying that, I'm wondering if
1: that's really true. Um, I don't know, you know, I do, I, I also belong to a singer songwriter circle and, um, it's like a critique, a song critique. And, you know, it's a little bit similar, which is I get a lot out of it, but sometimes I see people take, um, you know, you could, someone could play a song and there's 10 people kind of providing their input on the song and someone could love it. And, you know, the fact that this thing is repetitious and another person can say, well, actually, I think you need to modulate. That's too boring. And and at some point, I think you have to just take it in you know, sit with it for a while and say, what, what really serves you in the song? What is authentic to you? Um, because again, it, it, you, at least the way I think of creativity, it's in its purest form. It's an expression of who you are, right? So I, I would never want to squeeze out who somebody really is. Just give them some things to think about and how to make things better. So I do think to your point, it applies to lots of lots of art forms. Comedy, I think, could be, like you said, a little more Intense, but not because of comedy, but because of the comedian. We're just a very, very mm. sensitive bunch. <laughs>
0: That's true. Yeah. And yet I can I can just imagining people saying, but what if I haven't figured out who I am yet? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it can be really hard to figure out yeah. what what's authentic to you.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's true, but that's one of, that's a great thing about writing though. I mean, you know, or any type of writing, songwriting, creative writing, poetry. I mean, I I think, you know, just don't overthink it. See what comes out and in time it'll, it'll, you know, uncover itself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think the more you do of it, the more you have a sense of what, what feels right and what doesn't feel right.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Especially if you listen to your, listen to your gut.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's the key thing, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the thing that we're not taught to do in school because our thinking all exists between our ears. Right.
1: So they say, yeah. So they say,
0: so I'm really curious to know how you've found that doing comedy has influenced your writing and maybe vice versa.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a great question. So I, um, it's influenced my writing. Um, so I have this book of essays that, you know, I'm going to um, get published hopefully soon. Uh, a is for awkward. And <laughs> you can't, you cannot write an essay the way that you would, you know, tell a story in a, in a, in a book like that, the way you would on stage, but, but where it has actually influenced me is that when you're, when you're doing um, up. It's not just about the words you say, it's, you know, the expressions you use, the way you act out, the way you use voices. And so it's really helped me try to think about how do I bring some of the characters in my stories to life beyond just their words, you know, describing them better, um, you know, setting the scene better, um, getting to the point better. Uh, and it, and in comedy, because people make such snap decisions, um, you don't. I'm not uh, a kind of comic where I feel like I can take 10 minutes to do a setup without getting a laugh yet. I mean, I would love it if I was, but I don't (laughs) think that's where I am yet. And the same kind of applies to writing. I think you need to understand what, you know, what is it that you need the reader to understand and when. And so it's made me think a little bit more methodically, uh, believe it or not. And then on the reverse, um, I think writing has informed my comedy in in that I have to learn how to not, um, I need to economize better. I mean, one of the things I do is, is I can get pretty academic and descriptive and then I can lose somebody when I'm on stage, right? Who's, it, there's so many distractions. So it's informed my comedy by thinking in terms of, okay, what is the main point of view? What's the main thing I need to get across here? So I think it's been a little bit of a a back and forth.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's because I had never really thought of of the the two as as so related before, and yet, you know, the stories that you tell your friends are not yeah. the kind of stories that you're necessarily going to get up and tell, even at an open mic when you have no idea what you're doing. Well, maybe if you have no idea what you're doing, right? But yeah, but yeah. other than that, it's not like. It's not like George Carlin just woke up one day and said, oh, you know, I'm going to go on stage tonight and I'm just going to tell whatever story pops into my head. That's not how it works.
1: Right. That's right. And in fact, you know, I started this company called Vital Connects um, with a friend who she's a therapist and I'm the humorist. But one of the things we do is we actually use uh, joke mapping and humor writing techniques to problem solve because the technique itself, which is a writing technique, helps you actually kind of get to what the problem is and and think of connections that you would not think of otherwise. So it really, it's just, you know, it sounds like, you know, oh, he gets up and he does open mic night, but like, if you kind of take it seriously, like there is kind of a process to it and it really allows you to go in different directions and see what you, you know, see what you have. So it's been a, I think a skill that I probably didn't have before I tried it.
0: Can you give us an example of what that looks like?
1: a joke map yeah Yeah. or or actually we do it we do it with businesses too but so um you know i might ha- my i might have a premise and it involves a kitchen sink and so i'll just write the word kitchen sink in the middle of a piece of paper or a whiteboard or whatever and then we'll go around the room or i'll do it by myself um and just write everything that comes to mind with a kitchen sink so it could be a faucet it could be water it could be a leak it could be dirty dishes It could be a dump. It could be the saying, everything but the kitchen sink. And then you do the same thing for each of those words. And you do that about four or five layers out. And then you might end up the fifth or sixth layer with something that seems completely unrelated to a kitchen sink, like um, cottage cheese or, or France. And you start to make these connections between the kitchen sink and France, and in the in those levels, you're actually creating a story, and so it it can become a very funny story because you're now connecting two things, which is kind of the art of good comedy, right? Is the misdirect, the redirect, rather? Um, and so that joke mapping exercise, we do the same thing for problem solving. So we did one with uh, an organization that was looking to move more into coaching, which I think is in your in your uh, domain mm-hmm. actually, also. And and that's not what they were consultants, but not coaches. And so we started talking about what they did and put it sort of in the middle of this mapping exercise and did the same thing to try to understand what is the connection between where they are and this this area, this adjacent area that they want to get into and come up with some premises and potential business models. So it's just it's a way of thinking that I think is not at least something I wasn't exposed to, you know, in any any of my schooling.
0: It sounds like a like a brain map like that I used to do with writing students, but in a, you know, only to a certain extent, because then you're going off on this wild, you know, take it somewhere totally different piece that, that we certainly never did to write a five paragraph essay for English 101.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure you had, you had enough creativity in in those essays as it was.
0: (laughs) Intentional and unintentional. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, method. that's really cool, though. I, I like that. I like the way that that you take it in an unexpected direction and then see what you come up with, because that's where all the wild stuff happens.
1: Yeah. And then and the other thing that I love about and this is uh, it is comic, but it's, it's, you know, its own separate category is the use of improv and improv or improvisation, because what what you can then do is you can you can do it with or without the the mapping exercise, but take those elements and assign them to different characters and use different, there's a whole bunch of different improv exercises, which you may be familiar with, that start to create a story and it's fun. At the same time, you also get like ideas that you just would not otherwise generate. I mean, you know, think about how many times the majority of my comedy that actually works because most of it doesn't, but the majority <laughs> of it comes out of um unexpected places from conversations that I have or that I hear or things that happen. It's not me sitting down at a desk and trying to make a connection. And it's and that it's really that whole process, again, of just kind of putting everything aside and just it's it's connecting with other people and ideas and just being okay with being. A little weird, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's that's the stuff that I really like to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. for some reason the Overheard in New York website has just popped into my head. I haven't thought about that for years. Are you familiar? Oh yeah, with, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah All yes. Of the,
0: and there are more than just New York, or at least there were. I don't know if it yeah. still exists, but you know, the random things that you hear that undoubtedly to the people in the conversation made perfect sense, but to someone yeah. who's who's standing there are hilarious or or just completely right. bizarre. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep, yeah. can't make it up.
0: You can't make it up. You really yeah. can't. And and lord knows I love I love me some improv. So Yeah. Yeah. It's fun.
1: it's it's just and that's what kids that's what I mean when I say I think kids are everyone is creative. I mean, you know, I I don't think I've ever seen kids that aren't improvising. You know, when they're on the playground making, you know, it's like those are the the best stories as even when they have toys and stuff and that's sort of i think the you know the real shame of having so many devices around is it takes away from you know imp- improvisation is just another way of saying play in a way right yeah right
0: and i i think we would be deeply disturbed if we ever saw kids who weren't essentially doing improv and making stuff up all the time
1: yeah it's it's true we we have enough accountants i don't want to see some 5 year old in a with a briefcase and a Three-piece suit. It would
0: just be weirdly unnatural, though. You know, I mean, it would just be like, what is what is wrong with this kid? Even if we couldn't put our finger on what it was, we yeah. would know something was really wrong with that kid.
1: Yeah, we would. Yes, um, it, it, I, I'm sure that uh, you know maybe Zuckerberg was that kid when he was five. But thank God that we, we have less than more, right?
0: Right. Right. And and I'm thinking of, you know, when my older nephew was five and he appeared with a thing he had made out of Lego and it was really just, you know, a giant block made yes. of Lego. And he said, this is a cake. Yeah. And I, you know, no question in his mind. And, yeah. and I said, well, of course it is. But of course, <laughs> because I'm not five, there's that little voice in my head going, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that little voice that goes uh-huh that's getting us all in trouble because yeah. we're looking at it going that ain't a cake kiddo but okay <laughs> and and they just are all in
1: yes yeah and that's why uh, that's why um and that's the that's a piece that we really really miss um as adults you know is is almost the suspension of belief a little bit not not you know we're not it's so funny because we suspend belief in very, very dangerous ways as adults, right? Oh, yeah. Very, very dangerous ways because it's okay. It just has, it's normalized. But in ways that really are not that dangerous, but people might think we're weird, we tend not to. And it's really so backwards because actually it would be a much, <laughs> a much, you know, more fun, uh, I think. Environment to be in where we can suspend belief in ways that it's not going to hurt anybody, but we can just have a little laugh, you know?
0: Yeah, there's a difference between suspending disbelief and being in denial.
1: Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think a
0: lot of us are in denial a lot of the time, whereas this is a cake.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Is is a whole lot healthier. Why not? It is.
1: And who's to say it's not a cake? And it could be a cake. Yeah. If it's a cake for him, it's a cake, you know? He's not right. gonna eat it.
0: Right? Exactly. So. I was say I'm not gonna try to eat it,
1: but right. otherwise so it's
0: a cake. But it be a cake.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So. Why why not?
1: I know. Kids and dogs, they've they've got it figured out, I think.
0: And they're having more fun.
1: They're definitely <laughs> so having more
0: clearly fun. Clearly they're onto something. The
1: kids are creative, dogs are in the moment. I mean they, they got it figured out. I don't know how, but they definitely yeah, do. Yeah,
0: they do. The rest of yeah. us though. I don't know. There's there's something in that growing up thing that just wrecks it.
1: Yeah, I think it's a common, you know, I'm I'm all for being an adult and responsible and I think that's important. But the idea that that's at the, you know, that and this was me. I'm not I don't want to talk for everybody else, but I definitely had it in my head that there were these milestone gates and you know, once you pass that gate, you know, you, your identity changes. You have to, you know, that part's got to go like that creative part playing piano trying to get in a band like now you've got to be responsible and there's plenty of people who balance everything I so I'm not saying that other people haven't figured it out but I was not sewn from that cloth um you you know and I I, I'm there now but we're getting there um but it it's actually makes me a, a better human being to not have to shed you know shed that stuff on the way
0: Yeah. Like the whole, you're too old for that now.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, what does that even mean?
0: Right. Right. I'm too old to have fun. Everything has to be serious and boring because what's the point of living if that's the case?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And I think that gets wrapped up into that word responsible because obviously, you know, like you, I'm, I'm not advocating that we all, you know, run off and just right. never go to work again. And though, I don't know, maybe there's a way to make that work, but absent that, yeah.
1: yeah, some yeah. people have
0: certainly managed yeah. it, but, but, you know, I mean, there are things that definitely need to be taken care of in the world and yeah. and we should do those things. But I don't think that that necessarily means that you can't go and do the other things too that you can't have fun, that you can't create, that, you you know, that everything has to be serious and boring and just drudgery for the rest of your life. Cause that's not being alive.
1: Yeah. yeah, I I agree. And that's why I'd love to, I really would love to see more and more people go to comedy clubs. I think it's a thing of the, that's a little bit of thing in the past. I mean, there's still people that go, but it's not, I mean, I remember when it was, you know, big thing, you would go to a comedy club the way you'd go to a movie or, and, um, it's one thing that you can sit at home and watch funny, you know, you can watch a funny comedy Netflix special and, and that's great. But there is something to be said, you being in a room with other people laughing. It's just it's it's just there's nothing like it. And um, I think that goes for all kinds of activities, actually. So, yeah, to get have fun.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I just yeah. went to see Eddie Izzard a couple weeks ago. Oh, for good. the second time. And you know, I've seen plenty of Eddie's shows on yeah. video. Yeah. But yeah. there is something fabulous about being in that room. And of course that's a bigger room. I yeah. haven't where, where, been to where was he? in mm. in Philadelphia.
1: Oh, okay. Wow. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's like the the remix tour from Philly okay. and then then I think I think New York. Not sure okay. where all else because those are the, the two closest. Yeah. But Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it was like a friend of mine had tickets. I was like, you want to go? I'm like, yeah.
1: <laughs> Talk about creativity. Yeah, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a brain that never stops. No, in no. multiple languages never stops. And I suspect the multiple languages is part of why it never stops.
1: Oh, interesting. In that okay. case. He's thinking in all these different yeah. languages.
0: That's- yeah. And there was actually a segment about what works and doesn't work in different languages and, and having huh. to like translate bits and, and change, yeah. you know, in yeah. order to make things work in different yeah. places. That was really, really interesting. But, yeah. but yeah, but that's also, you know, like I said, in, in a, a large theater, whereas yeah. a, a comedy club is, you know, often a smaller place, yeah, which is a exactly. different experience too.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean it's uh, they're all they're all good um they're all good experiences. I I think you know like I like I say to people who are work with us at Vital Connects um you know it's the idea is not to turn people into stand-up comics or writers, it's to just tap into what is there in all of us but unfortunately just sometimes get suppressed for all the the reasons that we you know, just spoke about.
0: Yeah. So I would love to hear more about what you do with Vital Connects.
1: Okay, yeah, sure. So we're we're we say we're a leadership consultancy um, and we focus on teams. So what what we've done is so just a little bit of background. My my um, the co-founder is Leslie Morgan. So she and I both um, have worked in corporate environments for many, 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 many years (laughs) over two decades and i was i've always worked in marketing still do and she worked in more operations but in um right it was it was during the pandemic we were working together and uh, at the same company and it was one of these things with uh, you probably heard a lot around dei diversity mm-hmm. inclusion and and we we had a lot of and these are very important initiatives for sure but we'd always have these sort of dei or team building or these type of initiatives and then everything would kind of stay the same, right? It was fun, but then everything would go, like nothing changed. And then we have significant like challenges that the team would have to come together and try to solve these challenges. But it was the same challenge that we were trying to solve last year. Right. And it's, and, and we started asking ourselves, these are really good people. These are smart people. Like what is actually going on here? And we realized that those two things never kind of came together. So Having a team that really had this 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 foundation of trust or psychological safety, which which a lot of people talk about, you know, is so important to the creativity piece because you're not going to do the things that you and I just talked about if you feel like you're going to be judged on your team, even if you get along with people, right? You don't have to have the same worldview, but it's that level of respect and knowing that you're safe. And so we brought these two things together. Uh, and so we work with teams to make sure that there's really truly a foundation of psychological safety. and then we, Ideate and problem solve using some of the humor workshops that I put together, um, and those. And we conduct workshops. Sometimes we have embedded engagements for longer, you know, for longer um, needs, and it's a it's a lot of fun. I have to say, and it's customized each time because it's different with each you know organization. But it's to try to. It's really to try to. Uh, this is a improv. So I I can't take any credit. This is from improv. But it's 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 saying hey we can. We can kind of work with you as a team, but it's best when you work as an ensemble, which is a little bit different, right? Because the team, you you still have your individual roles, but the ensemble, you're one unit and it's a more symbiotic relationship. And um, that's what we do.
0: Wow. Because so, yeah. you're absolutely right. You can bring in every consultant in the universe, but nine times out of 10, a year later, everything is exactly the way it was before you brought in the consultant. Yeah. So you find that this actually makes a change.
1: Yeah. It's so funny because we actually were so we've been really struggling to be honest about for for a while we were struggling and how do we describe ourselves? And we were staying away from the word consultant for all the reasons you just said, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we were on the we were on the opposite side where, you know, there's some good consultants, but it's we had the same reaction you had. And we were like, oh, we don't want to come in and oh that was fun and then there's nothing lasting so yes um we do find you know we've had clients say um you know we use a lot of different exercises um but we find that it does actually stick for two reasons one is you know the psychological safety piece what leslie does is she talks more about neuroanatomy not just kind of you know what we might be used to like are you left brain are you right brain are you creative or it's this idea of there's actually a thinking and a feeling brain which is based on some neuro neuroanatomy work i can never say that word that's been done <laughs> but in doing that she she's really great at explaining how when we're when we're at a work situation or we're in a serious situation right the the things that we get rewarded for are are from our thinking brain almost like what you said earlier mm-hmm. But the things that allow you to overcome objections, conflict and problem solve are actually largely embedded in the feeling brain. And so we do these exercises, first of all, um, really kind of get to the bottom of the fact that everybody is coming into the meeting with a whole set of concerns on their shoulder that nobody else knows about to begin with. Right. And it re- that really seems to stick with people. And it was a real eye opener. Um, I was personally afraid of getting too Personal, quite frankly, in that in that realm, and people kept telling us that we should be spending more time on that, um, which tells me that we are much more alike than we think, but we just don't present that way on Facebook and LinkedIn all the time. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. um, so that part really sticks. And then I use uh, I use the office or some other um, sometimes sitcoms and improv to actually ideate and joke map the way we did, and that's a that's a fun exercise. So that sticks. And we leave them with um we leave them with some approaches that they can use for their their particular team. Um, because you know, we always say that all all HR is local. You know, you could work for a, at a company, but if you have a good team, that's gonna make a difference. And vice versa, you can work for a great company, but if your team is, you know, all over the place, that's gonna really impact your uh, your daily experience.
0: Right. So the DEI work is not typically something people associate with humor, right? It's like big, serious, uncomfortable, unpleasant stuff. So how does it go when you talk to somebody who wants to bring you in and you say you're going to use humor? Because I can just imagine them being like, I'm sorry, what?
1: Yeah, no, it's and and that does happen. That absolutely happens. And we um we we address that head on. So I mean, one of the things when we're kind of walking through what we do is we make it very clear what we do, but we make it very clear like what we don't do, right? So this isn't therapy or confession on the psychological safety side, and this isn't like um improv and turning into a stand-up comic. And and it has to be done with incredible respect, right? Especially in today's day and age. What, what I always say to that is that, if you look at some of the most, there are some of the most serious things that have happened in history where leaders have used humor sort of as, as a, a, to disarm, right? What is a very, very difficult situation. The goal is to not make a joke out of the situation. It's not even to find the funny in the situation. The goal is to use humor for the interpersonal connections and relationships to then allow people to be real about how to address a situation, the problem is when people feel that they can't even just be themselves and take a breath. It, it typically can escalate, and nothing actually gets accomplished. So it's humor as sort of a channel to just disarm the relationship. Not necessarily, to, sorry, not necessarily to you know make uh, idle or fun of what might be a very significant situation. That being said. In the DEI space, what what is interesting is is that there are ways to use humor to really get to the point of what equity really means or what diversity really means. When you know, there's some people that are taking it to the extreme, and and are afraid to even touch it. So there's there's there are ways in which that can help there there also. But it's a very good question. It's it, it's not just DEI. It's actually for a lot of things uh, people get get a little bit cautious about.
0: Yeah. 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 Can you give us an example of of how you tackle some of those things?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, um, so one of the things that that we tackled was um, working with a team where they were a highly functioning team. Um, this isn't DEI example. This is just about team dynamics. Mm-hmm. But they were a highly functioning team. But there were two people on the team um, very strong personalities, very bright, um, you know, go getters, ambitious, and, you know, a little bit of a clash, right, just a class clash of personality, which I think is common on many teams. And one of the things we did is we first did this exercise, uh, driven by by Leslie, uh, my my business partner, to really kind of talk about um, what what basically she does, very well, which is talk about the, the unspoken landscape, right? The hidden what's hidden underneath the iceberg, if you will. Mm-hmm. And kind of everybody, this is one of those times when people were actually sharing a lot more than I thought people would be comfortable with. And then I came in and I did an exercise where I used the characters of the office and I had them all listed and I had a short description. And in that description, if, have you watched the office? by, by have H- Okay. So so it doesn't, it could be any, it could be any, any show, but for each character, they have, they have a very strong personality, right? There's a a characteristics to them that both are good and also bad. And I just kind of listed what the, this is a strength, but the flip side of that coin is, you know, this weakness. And we went around the room and I gave everybody a piece of paper and I said, uh, I'm giving away my secrets here, but I said, (laughs) okay, write down who you think you are in the team based on these descriptions right and then i gave everyone a piece of paper and i asked them to write down who they think everybody else on the team is mm-hmm. and we walked around and and the and it and what was funny is is that people started referring to themselves even in like kind of like you know when people can get touching about their you know personality traits that they know but started referring to themselves as the character rather than as their own identity and i think it just helped disarm and they could have a laugh about it and people can be open about it. And I think the fact that we did the first psychological safety exercise first really set a level playing field to for people to realize, we're we're really, I know it's a cliche, but we really are all trying to figure this thing out. Like none of us has it figured out. We all have our own issues, right? I mean, whether it's mental health issues or family issues, or I mean, everyone has something. And though it makes sense that everyone would know that, you don't come into the office typically and say to your team, you know, man, I really had a struggle, you know, with my kid on Sunday and I'm really nervous about it. You just carry that in with you. Um, and so being able to really level set and then come in with this exercise, I think was, uh, you know, it just worked out and, and I know that it's something that they've continued to, to use.
0: And, you know, it's interesting as soon as you said that, you know, we all have stuff going on. It's like, I just could feel everything in me just kind of calm down even though i yeah. wasn't in that room there's there's something about acknowledging that yeah. that that just makes everybody breathe a little bit more easily just hearing it
1: yeah interesting and i i wonder if it's because you know i i always wonder this myself um you know having my own team and stuff like that you know i i want to i want to create that environment myself obviously this is what we do but i always feel like it, I get more success when I'm working with other clients than my own team. And I think it's because if it's somebody like a stranger or a third party coming in, there's no hierarchy. There's no, mm-hmm. you know, someone else is saying it to your point, as opposed to someone that you know might be doing your performance review or you have to ask something for it, you know, and it doesn't matter how great that relationship is. Th- that's just the work environment. There's a hierarchy there or, you know, a dynamic. So yeah. I don't know it's- I, I there's
0: know. there's power involved there somewhere, and that just always yeah. makes it a little bit more awkward. But I think even when there is power involved there, if you have that moment when everybody can be reminded that everybody's got their own stuff,
1: yeah,
0: it does yep. it does help at least to some degree, maybe not you know, to completely level things, but at least to some extent, it reminds everybody that we're all human and we're all doing dealing with similar things.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of, again, uh, what Leslie always, she always says this and it really sticks with me. You know, she says that she, you know, she's a therapist and she sees people all the time that they clearly have very different worldviews, right? They just, they, they're, but the, the, the Venn diagram is that they're still has, they have this human experience, right? Uh, They still have these, feelings that create thoughts that create the way in which we see the world and so you know what i think we're trying to get to i don't know about you but you know i grew up during a time particularly in a work environment where it was seen as being bad to be emotional or talk about feelings especially at work and the reality is you know i'm not talking that people need to be girl interrupted or falling like michael (laughs) Douglas falling down right but work is extremely emotional this is how people make their livelihood you know how they pay for stuff how they you know so let's not pretend that we're all robots and and as you know i think basic as that sounds i actually don't think that we're reminded that very often or at least enough
0: yeah i i agree with you and i'm i'm still flashing back to that that book and the whole everything is between your ears, right? Like it's all supposed to happen in your brain. Nothing comes from anywhere else that you might feel anything because your brain is supposed to be this emotion free zone, which is insane. Yeah. That's not how it works. But, yeah. but yeah, you know, you're supposed to go to school and shut off your emotions just like you're supposed to when you go to a job. You know, it's, it's like whose idea was this?
1: I, you know, I, if you can. Figure that out. I uh, you have
0: a book. My personal theory is that it came in with the Industrial Revolution, and we all decided that we had to be more like the machines. That's that's my theory. I think we've been trying to mechanize ourselves ever since the steam engine. But I have no scholarship to go with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, the the idea is is that we. I, you're, that's a very good point. I never thought of it, but like, at least in America and I guess other civilized, you know, Western civilizations, you know, you're rewarded for productivity, right? Productivity is not about how you feel or, <laughs> I mean, it's just about getting stuff done. Right. Yeah. So actually makes a lot of sense. I know yeah.
0: we're, we're just supposed to churn out the widgets no matter how we feel, no matter what's yeah. going on.
1: Yeah, I would, that's, that would not work for me. Obviously. It's not healthy. No, no it's, it's just not. not. No, And actually the widgets that we have to turn out today actually require more of the, I think, feeling brain and some of the creativity, you know, than it did in 1920. That's, you know, we, we, I think we need to change our our reward system a little bit. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I think that acknowledging that we're all human and we all come in and we all have feelings going on under the surface and, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's not that we, you know, it's the reality is if you, can, if you and I worked together and you were going through something and I said, you know, how are you doing or do you need help? You know, you, you would talk to me if you trusted me and then we would still do our jobs. And we'd feel like, right. oh, it's not like we would have a four hour therapy session and I'd have to go to Costco to buy a whole thing of tissues. It's just acknowledging what's going on as opposed to suppressing it and going through the day feeling like, you know, you're just, it's, it's just whack-a-mole. It's like, I always told my kids this, you can suppress the feelings. They're going to show up somewhere. And, you know, people want to know why sometimes, you know, why is that person so grumpy at work all the time or why, you know, it it it's, you know, it's not you. I, I Believe me, it's not you.
0: Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm just wondering how if at all cuz cuz my su- my supposition here could be completely wrong but yeah how does how does comedy work into that for you do you find comedy to be an emotional outlet for things like that
1: no my 100% yeah i mean I think in much healthier ways now, do you, do you mean like just in general or like in a work, in a work situation or in in
0: whatever way it works for you?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all, all D all the above. I mean, (laughs) um, I think as do other creative outlets, like playing piano and, and, and writing, but, but comedy in particular, I mean, on a hourly basis, you know, I think when I was younger, um, and you know I wasn't popular, and like you know everyone's got their their story or whatever. But you know I I I could use comedy as a way to deflect, or it was a you know this I'm not the only one. This is a very common and oh. defense mechanism, but it, you know it quickly can turn into self deprecation, which is is not great for you, me, being me, and it's uncomfortable for everybody else. So that wasn't the healthiest approach, but. I think, you know, over time, it's migrated to being something about uh, it's It's like the best pair of glasses, because it's just something that allows me to filter just sort of the hilariousness of everything. I mean, look at when I'm, I'm getting older, um, things are changing, stuff is happening that I don't understand, like, there's just a perspective. And, and at work in particular, you know, uh, I think I read 90% of US companies are going through some sort of transformation or change there's a lot more layoffs the pandemic has completely changed the the game particularly with younger generations these are um you know not easy times and i think uh, this idea of of change uh in using humor to kind of accept it and make sense of it or not to me is is a game changer i would i really am very very uh, grateful that i you know, can look at things that way. I think where it gets just—I uh, know I'm rambling—but no. one thing I would say is where where it gets a little bit cautious is, uh, and you touched on it with the DEI example, is people understanding that you can take your job seriously without taking yourself seriously, and and I think that you know, with time, over time, that's that's changing. But that's sometimes people interpret, you know, you. Um, ha- you know, having a healthy sense of humor or calling things what they are as not taking the job seriously. When in fact, all you're really trying to say is like, can we just, can we all admit that this is kind of screwed up and, you know, we're going to move on. But like, you know, it's like, let's just, let's be honest, you know, that, that type of mentality. And, and I think it's definitely going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear that. And I actually, since I talked about this on the podcast the other week, I, I had a little adventure in the ER a couple of weeks ago yes, and, you know, had myself a, a lovely shiner that just finally completely went away just a couple of days I don't ago. Like, I was actually wondering.
1: Yeah. It was yeah.
0: like, now it's funny. I got so used to seeing it that now it's weird not to, but the whole time that I was there and I was, I was back actually for in treatment in the ER for maybe like five hours. That was kind of how I viewed it because I was like, look, I will take all of your questions seriously because obviously you need to do what you're going to do. But I absolutely refuse to be serious about the fact that I am in here looking like this.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) and I mean, the reality is, is you're going to look that way whether you take it seriously or not. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's certain things that are, you cannot, it's, it's very hard to find the humor in, but something like that. I think it says a lot about you and the way you, you know, this is just life. It's going to, it's just going to be messy sometimes. And, uh, I, th- I think it's, uh, I, I, you know, one of the things I write about Whitford our blog on vital connects is that humor is a, it's a superpower, you know, and, uh, it's a muscle and, and like creativity. I think some people go, Oh, I, I'm not funny. I'm not. And actually, I think everybody has, there's four types of humor and this whole thing, but, um, everybody has the opportunity it's just it's fear right it's very it's it's you know you don't have to get up on stage but even like trying to show that side of yourself to people sometimes is a very uncomfortable you know premise for certain people
0: yeah and yet when when you're sitting there in the er and your face is swollen up yeah. and you look like yeah. you got beaten up by a gang yeah. you know or attacked by dinosaurs or you know yes aliens or whatever insert your oh yeah yeah. i mean it was just like it you know i mean really
1: (laughs) i mean there's your your book there's your book we (laughs) should write a story we should write a chapter on every story about what the that you told about about oh now
0: that could be hilarious yeah that really could be hilarious
1: it would be so funny.
0: But yeah. honestly, I mean, the whole the whole time we were there was hilarious. And no doubt that was also fueled by adrenaline and sleep deprivation at that point, because it was 3 yes. a.m. when I got home. But but still, you know, it's just like, no way, man. No way I'm going to sit here and not laugh at this, because why not, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. I mean. Sleep, sleep, really. sleep deprivation and adrenaline is how most comedians get their material. So <laughs> you, you just... You should just go for it at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. They're, yeah. they're powerful fuel for all sorts of weird brain connections, yes. for sure. True. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. This was thank a lot you. of fun. This was really it was. Fun. I
1: really appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
0: That's this week's episode. My thanks to Mark K. for joining me and to you for listening. Please leave a review for this episode. There is a link right in your podcast app. And in it, tell us about a time when humor made something easier for you. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with a friend. Thank you so much. If this episode resonated with you, or if you're feeling a little bit less than confident in your creative process right now, join me at The Spark on Substack as we form a community that supports and celebrates each other's creative courage. It's free, and it's also where I'll be adding programs for subscribers and listeners. The link is in your podcast app, so sign up today. See you there, and see you next week. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners.